Uh, it's great to see you here this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited. Uh, if you want to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you uh, aren't familiar, perhaps, with the Bible, maybe it's kind of new to you, but you know where you know, the Bible is divided right down the middle, Old Testament, New Testament, so you can split it in the middle. And then basically take a right turn, that'll take you to the New Testament. And if you take a, another right turn from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, won't be too far until you get to General Electric Power Company. <laughs> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I always remember what order they're in. I don't remember who taught me that when I was a kid, but it works. Because uh, they're four small books, small letters. And uh, they can sometimes be hard to find in, in the midst of the collection of the other things that are in there. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, I want to start with this passage, and our theme today is that he is all that you need. He is all you need. I'm going to, un oh, I was just about to say a trendy word. I'm, I'm going to unpack that for you. Man, I hate that. I was reading on, on Twitter this week, there was like this whole thread of, um, things I wish pastors would quit saying and unpack was on there and I'm, man, I'm guilty already. I'll try not to have any more of those. I'm going to try and explain some of it to you. Maybe we'll discover it together. I'll share with you what I discovered. Maybe that'll mean something to you. So Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, just before this, uh, the writer here, Paul, writing to the people at the church at Philippi, uh, had been talking about the fact that there had been a little bit of a season when um, he was kind of poor and he didn't have the things that he needed and, and things weren't coming along the way that, uh, that he would like for them to. And then he praises the church at Philippi for engaging with him and helping to bring resources to bear on the things that he was doing and the things that he needed. And then as well, that they were seeing some benefit of that too. Uh, by the way, if you're panicking, today's not a, a sermon about money. Don't worry, it's, it's, it's okay. That's just the context of how he's talking. But he's giving us a principle that's so much larger, and he actually says it in this verse. Uh, this is a passage that is often used to kind of poke church people about money. Uh, because you, you can make it work that way. And, and, and look, the idea here in this, in this walk with Christ is that every area of our life is to be subjected to the will and desire of God. Amen. So, you know, our time, our attention, our passions, our talents, our, our thoughts, our activities, our money, everything. Like our whole life. And so you can make that connection. That's not the connection I want to make for you today. I want to focus on some specific words. And, and first I want to focus on the end of that verse. In Christ Jesus. It's used 50 times in the New Testament, that phrase. Almost all of it by the same writer of the book of Philippians. In Christ Jesus. Now we could take this and we could take the first part of that and we could say... My God will supply every need of yours. And we could leave it off there, but it would be incomplete. He, he will supply every need of yours 
according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase that's in the middle, according to his riches in glory. If we look at the, the, the contextual meaning of this, of this verse, what it says is, my God will supply every need of yours in Christ Jesus. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that according to his riches in glory. Now, if we think of glory as being uh, the kingdom of heaven, I mean, Jesus called glory the kingdom of heaven. He said things like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's right here. It's next to us. It's near to us. If you have eyes that can see or ears that can hear, you can, you can identify the kingdom of heaven around you. And actually, as a follower of Christ, you can live in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Now, for some of you, like, what? What does that mean? But Jesus said it in, in the model prayer, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven can be present with us now. It's not something we have to dream of for eternity. It can be here right now. We have to live in it. And how do we live in the kingdom of heaven? We need to be people who are living our lives in Christ. This is similar to a passage of scripture where it says, um, uh, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. Um, I will give you the desires of your heart. Those are kinds of passages that have been twisted terribly in religious thought and in, in Christian thought and in churches over the centuries to, to justify um, greed at the highest levels of church administration, um, denominations, uh, in the local church to, to browbeat people for money and for uh, uh, stuff. Uh, you know, just things, like to give things to the church, because the, the hook was, if you'll be faithful in your giving, then if you ask God for anything, he's going to give it to you too, right? And then another way that that's, that's, gets kind of twisted out of shape is we go, oh, well, um, if, if I'm a Christian and there's something I want, if I just ask God, it says right here he's going to give it to me. <laughs> well, look, it doesn't take much of traveling life to figure out that that's clearly not how that works. There's a principle at play here that God will indeed supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory as we live our lives in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing. If we're living our lives in Christ Jesus, as opposed to living our lives, let's say, in the world or for ourselves, help me out here. Do, is it possible then that what we need changes? Is, is it possible that what we desire changes? <laughs> I will give you the desires of your hearts. Well, listen, friends, that if you call yourself a follower of Christ, it seems to me that the desires that are deep within your heart should be markedly different than, than some of the desires that rest in the hearts of those who are still chasing after wickedness and immorality. So what are those desires? 
that he wants to give to you. And maybe sometimes you're disappointed, like, I'm not getting what I want. Well, maybe what you want is what you need. Because here it says that he will provide all that you need. According to everything that he has at his disposal, in the place where he resides right now, which is in glory, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, you say, what is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, the, kingdom is, the kingdom of heaven is anywhere, anywhere, where what God wants done is done. When you, when you are living your life and you are doing the things of God, both in the large sense and in the specific sense to your life. You're, you're programming computers, you're doing heating and plumbing, you're teaching people, you're answering the phones at crisis lines, uh, you're helping um, veterans with uh, job rehabilitation and things, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. If you're doing those things, in the course of doing those things, you are, you are doing the work that God has given you and you're doing it for His purposes. You are working in the kingdom of heaven at that moment because you're doing what the king has instructed you to do. And you've helped to lay stake to his ground and to his kingdom, the place where he rules. So what does it mean to be in Christ? It says it 50 times. It must mean something. And I'd like to suggest to you that perhaps to be in Christ is to learn of him, who is he? What is he about? What did he do? Maybe we should do some of those things. Um, is it possible that in doing the things that he did, could we be people who are content with whatever comes our way because we are in him? Uh, in the early days of, of Christ Community Church, when we were still scheming and dreaming and planning and nothing had really come together. We were, in fact, we didn't have a name yet. Um, <laughs> man, that was a fun process. Uh, I, I, I want the time. I don't want to keep you long today, but, but I want to plug this little part of, I was texting with Jay Sample uh, this week, who's one of our founding pastors, and was the pastor at South Anchorage Baptist Church that was here. Uh, before Christ Community Church came to life, and he was a huge part of that, of our two churches coming together. And uh, we had wrestled with names uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, we had uh, a journey church. Uh, I, I don't remember some of the other ones, probably because I've got some PTSD related to that, because we, uh, man, there were some bad names. Um, you know, you play with the Greek words, you know, koinonia. Uh, that nobody understands what that means. Um, uh, you, you know, mm, mm. Not that I'm pointing anyone out, I'm just saying. You know, you can put point on the end of any word that sounds churchy. <laughs> ballpoint, ballpoint Baptist Church. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Uh, banner point, uh, you know, whatever. So, our, our point was, uh, and by the way, I want to say, now that I'm thinking about that change point, is a lovely church and they're good friends to us. Um, if you didn't see the uh, the note that went out this week, you saw probably all of those. There's 30 light fixtures lined up in the hallway out there. Those all came from Change Point two and a half years ago. They donated those to us 
uh, there's some cabling and all that kind of stuff that's gonna make the rest of this project work. That's like somewhere between five and $8,000 they just gave us that stuff. Uh, God bless them for blessing us and here we're seeing it come to, uh, to fruition. But uh, you know, we had some rules that we, we decided on in naming Christ Community Church. It had to be, uh, had to have the word church in it. Uh, it had to stand the test of time. It couldn't be trendy. Uh, it needed to clearly communicate uh, what we were about. So we're about Christ, community, and church, and we're about Alaska. And uh, and then what was the fourth one? The fourth one was, oh, it, it needed to require as little additional explanation after you told someone the name of your church as possible. Because uh, our church name when we came was Anchorage Quality of Life Center. <laughs> I love the brother that came up with that name, and I wasn't here when it happened because I would have I would have run that train right off the tracks. But there we were. So you know we had a little baggage, right? But um, so in those early days when we were dreaming of Christ Community Church and we didn't even have a name yet, I remember sitting in coffee one day with a bunch of guys and uh, folks from our church and uh, folks from uh, South Anchorage, and we were we were dreaming and talking about well, what would it look like and what would we do and how would it be different than what we're doing right now? Um, how would it be the same? And I remember uh, one of the guys who was visiting with us uh, said, uh, he, was, he was excited. I mean, he was excited about the possibility. He said, you know, I just have to know if we do everything right, um, man, it's just gonna take off like a rocket. And I was in a place in my ministry life where I, I wanted to believe that, that if you checked all the right boxes and it looked just the way that you wanted it to do, that it was going to, um, that you were gonna be successful. The problem was the definition of success was the problem. Um, because uh, <clears throat> there's this, there's this, uh, what do they call it, acronym, ABC, uh, that churches for a long time have, have sort of gone by and, and, and criticized for it. I'm happy to criticize uh, ABC. This is the three measures of church attendance. Um, activities, uh, bodies, and cash. <laughs> if you can check all three of those boxes and you're doing good, you're, you must be being successful. And that's kind of what this person meant in some ways, but in other ways not. Um, was, oh, and man, if we just do everything right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be successful. And it, I physically rocked back in my chair because I had this revelation moment. It was life-changing for me when it came to ministry. And I, I, could just feel, I could just feel God speaking to me. And he said, hey, hey, don't listen to that because it's not true. He said, it's possible that you could do everything right and my will is for the whole thing to burn around to the ground around you. You don't know what my intention is. You don't know what my will is. All you know is what I'm asking you to do. I'll provide everything else. And then he asked me a question. He said, are you willing to be content if indeed you do everything I ask you to do? And when it all burns down to the ground, or will you curse me? I wasn't happy with that. 
conversation we were having, but I understood it. I come from an environment where success was absolutely measured by uh, really those three things. I mean, you could, you could tick off the list. It's unsustainable. And it's unsustainable in our personal lives with Christ as well. We have a, a list of things that we validate ourselves by, what we think is success, what we think makes us matter to the people around us or to the world that we're in or the place that we're working or whatever it might be, to our family, to our friends. When really the only thing that we need to be validated by is that God loves you, my friend. He has a plan and a purpose for you and we get to see little bits and pieces of it and we journey along the way and we touch some other pieces of it and, and, it, and we're blessed by it, but we don't get to see the whole thing and sometimes it's a mystery to us and sometimes things happen and transpire that we simply don't understand and God says that he's faithful and he's good to take even those things that we don't understand and even the things that we mess up. He says, look, I, I, I wish you wouldn't do that. It causes you heartbreak and it causes other people heartache, but don't, don't, don't let it kill you because I'll take even your garbage and I'll take and make something beautiful out of it if you'll let me and you'll follow me. And so when we say he's all you need, I really want that to be true in my life and in, in your life. That ex, separate from any other external circumstance or factors, I mean, given whatever, and look, some of you in this room have suffered terrible tragedy and circumstance in your life where literally, uh, literally everything around you has burned to the ground. And I've seen some of you exercise that faith where you realize that, that he is really all that you need. There's a, a guy that we refer to once in a while named Dallas Willard, who's passed on now, um, an incredible thinker, theological thinker, and, and Christian thinker, uh, really influenced, I know both Jason and I and some others here uh, with his uh, thoughts. He was a philosophy teacher at the University of Southern California and uh, a, a deacon in his local Southern Baptist church. And so you can imagine how sometimes he was at odds with the educational environment that he was in, but he was, he's, he was just such a fantastic uh, follower of God and, and, and explainer of things that sometimes are difficult to understand. And one of the things I like that he said uh, is he, he called those of us who are Christians, he said he liked the word apprentice better than he liked the word follower or disciple. Um, follower, you know, you can follow someone all over the place and never do any of the things that they do. You're just watching, you're just following. And uh, disciple, he said, had kind of taken on a, a meanings that didn't really indicate what that was particularly about. He said, but in, in the modern world, you know, people being apprentices to uh, other laborers and things like that makes a lot of sense. You know, you'll, you'll have in, uh, all kinds of professional disciplines, uh, people who are apprentices working to become masters at what they do from the people who are masters. So he said, that he liked to, to describe those of us who are, who are believers in Christ more that way. And he said, uh, here's one of the main problems with, with being in Christ, or the problem with us achieving that. 
of us actually living our lives in the presence of Christ, with him active in our lives. He says, in most churches, we're not only saved by grace, we're paralyzed by it. He says, we're afraid to do anything that we might call good works because we know that our salvation and our place with Christ can't be earned by doing good works. It's, it's his grace. Because the funny thing is, we'll preach to people for an hour that they can't do anything to be saved. And then we'll sing a song for a half an hour trying to get them to do something, which is to make a decision for Christ. It says this is confusing. People need to see that action is a receptacle for grace, not a substitute for it. Grace is God acting in our lives to do things that we can't do on our own. And we say this all the time, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So I think sometimes the reason why we can't figure out how to live life in Christ is because we don't know about him really. And if we do get to know about him, we don't think intentionally about what he did. And therefore that doesn't influence about anything in our lives as far as what we should be doing. And then it gets mixed up in this thing about, well, you can't work your way to heaven. And then people go, well, I, what am I supposed supposed to do that? We have that question. In fact, I heard somebody mention it this morning. I heard it out there in the, the, the chatter and it made me laugh because it's in my notes. But, you know, the whole, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Got my, got my armband. It'll remind me, what would Jesus do? It's fine. That's good. It's a good thing to think about. What if we, what should I say? What, what did Jesus do? What were some of the qualities that he embodied? Instead of thinking imaginarily, what would he do in this circumstance? Look back at who he was as he lived his life on this earth to be an example for us and say, well, what did he do? And I got just a short list. It's like five things. But you can find a whole lot more, and I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to mention that here in a minute. Um, but for instance, one of, one of the things that Jesus did is he was humble towards other people. He wasn't arrogant. Um, he didn't slap them down in the midst of their struggles. He met them where they were. Now, now you know, and I, this always happens, so I'm gonna mention it, uh, because I, our whole lives are, I don't, well, okay, let me back that up. My thinking gets run like it's social media. And so when I'm having conversation like this, when I'm talking like this, or I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with people, in my head it kind of runs like a social media thread um, because I've just gotten so used to that, and it's a bad thing. I'm not saying you, sh you should aspire to this. It's not good. So as I said that, I go, you know, he was humble towards everybody. I know somebody will go, oh, John, he, got, he threw those tables in the temple, and then that other time when he was like telling those religious people that they were like snakes and vipers. Huh? Yes. Now think about who he was talking to and about in both of those circumstances. He was upset with people who claimed to be followers of God and were supposed to be. In fact, one place he says, 
you guys are supposed to be showing people how to get into the kingdom of heaven, and instead you stand at the door like a guard and keep them out. Those are the people he, he got upset with. Those are the people that he slapped down. But the woman with the issue of blood, people that were lame and deaf, the woman caught in adultery, all these people, arms wide open, come here and let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven, he says. So he was humble before others. Uh, in another place in Philippians, it says, you know, our attitude should be like Jesus, who even though he was God, took on the form of a servant and walked among us, even though he didn't have to do that. So one way that we can begin to approach living life in Christ, in his presence, is to be humble before others. Another way is to follow the example of Jesus as he served other people. Uh, we see it in his very first miracle recorded in the Bible. In fact, it's, a, it's kind of a funny story. He's at the wedding, right? You've maybe heard this. He's at a wedding. His mom is apparently the hostess because she is zooming around, trying to make sure all the guests are taken care of. And the picture that we see is probably that Jesus is hanging out somewhere in the back with the service staff, with the, with the kitchen back there. And, you know, the kitchen's the best place to be anyway at these events. It's the most fun. Uh, you get to pick at all the food that's going out. It's where the jokes are happening. It's where everything's, you know, a little bit less uh, crazy. And out there on the formal floor, nobody wants to be out there uh, doing that business, especially if it's not your wedding. Can I get an amen? <laughs> And so here comes Mary buzzing into the kitchen. She looks at Jesus and she says, we've run out of wine. Who basically says, what do you want me to do about that? <laughs> and then she looks at the, the kitchen staff and she says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And <laughs> off she goes. I mean, that's literally how, if we put it in modern language, that's exactly how it happened. And Jesus, as she's leaving, he says, you know, I, I'm not supposed to be doing anything yet. It's not my time. And then he looks at the servants and he tells them to go to fill these huge clay jars with water. They bring them back. And they do. They bring them back. And as they begin to dip the water out, it's miraculously been transformed into wine. And not just any wine, but the best wine of the day. So where do we find Jesus' first miraculous act? Serving his mother and all of the people that she's responsible with so that she won't be embarrassed or, or put out. And I could, I could dig into that a little bit. Maybe we'll do that when we go through the Gospels here in uh, a little while. So be humble before others. Be willing to serve others. Uh, Jesus washing people's feet. Right? Um, make active steps to in glorifying God with your mouth and with your life, with your actions. Um, give praise to Him in times other than this time right here, where you feel like you're supposed to. What if you were supposed to in the rest of your life? And what if glorifying God wasn't always singing songs like, Be Thou My Vision? What if sometimes it was just doing the work that's in front of you and doing it as a happy laborer? and one who is worthy of their day and their pay, and blessing your employer or whoever you're working with that day. That glorifies God. Um, pray, for crying out loud, pray. Be 
even Jesus prayed. We see it recorded often, and then we have some specific examples of the words even that he said. Uh, when his disciples asked him, how should we pray? He said, well, here's, a, here's an example of what maybe it should look like. Now make it your own, but pray. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now we look at Jesus, he's the ultimate sacrifice, right? He gave his life so that we could spend an eternity with him in the fully realized kingdom of heaven. How do we sacrifice ourselves in our modern world and in our lives? Um, look, uh, you know, I've known people, maybe you've known people who have been, literally been called on to sacrifice their lives. And, and some of them, the, the purest motivation they had was because of their love for Christ allowed them to step in for someone else or to try to rescue someone else because they were just so motivated by that love that they had for their, their neighbor. But it, might, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. Maybe sometimes it just means not getting your way all the time and letting someone else have their way. Maybe it means putting aside your own wants and desires so that someone else can be lifted up and encouraged through your love for them. And then I ask the question, why doesn't this happen automatically? Why don't we just do this? I mean, I don't think I've told you anything that you don't already know. I couldn't figure out, but why don't we do it? Another, uh, another guy that uh, I have appreciated his thoughts, a guy named Dieter Zander. And uh, he had written these words, he said, he said, I think the problem with, with living our lives in Christ is that so often people live without intention. They just get pushed around by their circumstances and the culture, but they don't really have their own direction. They don't have their own direction because they don't really know who Jesus is and what he did and how that should influence what they do in their own lives. Spiritual disciplines like humility, serving, sacrifice, praying, giving, worshiping, meditation, they serve as anchor points in our lives. The practices that you engage in daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, either keep you from drifting all over the place or cause you to drift all over the place. He says, in our congregation, we think through what kinds of things can you do to connect with Jesus and follow him? Would you read a chapter from the Gospels every day? Would you consider praying? Jesus, help me to do the kinds of things that you did. And when people do something intentionally, something that was... Some, if they do something intentionally, something that has meaning and value for a period of time, it can actually change their lives. See, if you live without any intention, it's just whatever comes along. I know some of you are business people in here, you've got your own uh, businesses that you're running, real estate agencies and things like that. 
you know, you couldn't be at all successful if you had no intention of the work that you were doing. You know, I, I get up most days and I, and I have an idea of what I want to accomplish. And then I go after those things. Without that, it's just, hmm. what if we approached our spiritual lives that way, with intention? And, uh, and then finally, uh, Willard suggests, Dallas Willard suggests, uh, and I put this in quotes, the simplest place to begin. So we talk, you know, humility, serving, praying, um, sacrifice, those things. The simplest place to begin, although it's really not that simple, is to love your neighbor. And this came from him, uh, he said, and it's hard to imagine, having met him a couple of times and then seeing the things that he wrote, I'm like, I, I just can't imagine him being this way, but he, he talks about uh, the, the place that he was living in, in California. He lived in the same house for decades. Uh, the neighborhood changed dramatically, and he said, uh, he just realized one day that he uh, really hated his neighbor. Uh, he was a, a, a biker guy with a gang, a literal gang, and they were selling drugs and stuff out of the house, and sometimes they'd find people in the front yard with you know, needles and stuff in their arms passed out, and the police were there all the time, and sometimes random shootings would go off, and, and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I, he said, I just realized, um, I didn't love him at all. And he felt, he felt guilty about that. And so he set about intentionally every day, beginning to pray for his neighbor by name. He prayed for good things, he prayed for the blessing, he, he prayed for peace. And he, he tried very intentionally to not pray so that it would benefit him, but strictly so that it would benefit his neighbor. And over time, his hatred for that neighbor began to turn into a genuine care and affection and compassion, and they built a friendship. I'd like to say everything was rosy and perfect, but I don't think it was after that. But that wasn't the purpose, right? The purpose wasn't to fix everything. The purpose was to be truly an apprentice of the ways of Jesus Christ. So I would ask you in your own life, look around. Look at, look at the landscape of your life. How are you intentionally trying to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ? Because if we'll direct ourselves in that way and do those kinds of things, we will find ourselves then living a life that is in the presence of Christ. And within that life, every single thing that we need, God is willing to provide according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In that same line, Peter Zander told the story. He said, when we moved to San Francisco, we lived on a street where our neighbors included an atheist Jewish family, a Buddhist family, an Irish Catholic family, a gay couple, and a Hindu family. There was no sense of community, so we decided to become conduits of the kingdom by practicing the discipline of hospitality, being friendly. We learned people's names and we used them. We introduced neighbors to each other and something began to happen. And one day, my atheist Jewish neighbor came into my kitchen once and said, You know, something has happened since you all moved into this neighborhood. It's hard to describe, but it's like an enzyme has been added. Where once there was no life, now there's life. What is that? 
And I said, that's the gospel of Jesus being lived in our lives. My final note would be to suggest that if in my life and in your life, if the people around us never had that kind of experience where they wonder, huh, something's different here. Something's different when I'm around you. Something different happens when you show up, when you engage. If people aren't saying that about us, I wonder if we're really living our lives in Christ. Because listen, friends, when Jesus shows up, like water turns into wine, and blind people see, and deaf people hear, and people walk on top of the water, and the dead rise again. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I think that's the capstone to this conversation. The only way that I know to be content with the circumstances I am in is when I can get to a place where I'm not always living and thinking and doing for myself. But if I can do some living, thinking, and doing in the name of Christ for those around me, I find that His presence is so much greater with me and my circumstances matter so much.